all people want in, in life, but definitely in the workplace, is dignity and respect. And if we don't see people or hear them, we can't give them that dignity and respect. So I think that as a leader, it's so important that we sit down and listen. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alms, and today's topic is a really sticky one, how leaders can stop toxic relationships in the workplace. And I'm so excited to have our guest today, Lynn Catalano. Lynn has a background in psychology and in law and is a renowned speaker with a book coming out soon called Wrecking Ball Relationships, How to Identify, Live With, or Leave the Narcissist in Your Life. Lynn, welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. So glad to be here with you today. So let's dive into this tough topic because I think a lot of us have probably experienced this or know someone, you know, who has had this in their families. You know, they come home from work and they're like, I just can't take this horrible person at work. So as a leader, how do you start to spot the signs of what's really a toxic relationship versus, you know, we all have normal struggles at work with people. How do you know the difference? Right. So uh, for me, I've broken down 10 characteristics that we could all see in an employee or a coworker or a colleague. Um, and it helps us identify that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to share those 10 characteristics with you and, and feel free if, if you want to ask any questions along the way. <laughs> um, one, these people do not take responsibility for their own decisions, their actions, anything. Um, they're very difficult to um, uh, accept responsibility. So that's number one. Um, you know, we see that in a lot of different ways. And that's, that's really a true characteristic of a narcissist as well. Um, but certainly in the workplace, that's, that's one of the characteristics. Um, these people avoid conflict at all costs. They just don't, they don't like to um, resolve anything. They don't like to be challenged or criticized. So they're, they're very difficult to actually dive into the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they micromanage everyone. So whether it's their own assistant, you know, um, or members of their team, um, there's no trust. You know, in order to delegate authority, we build trust. We, we trust our coworkers and our colleagues and our subordinates by saying, you know, I'm going to assign you this task and I trust that you're going to complete it. I know you have the skill set, you have the experience, you have the education, you know how to do this. I trust you to do this. Toxic uh, people in the workplace do not. They have zero trust. So they micromanage everything. They ask you a hundred times, did you do the job? Did you do the task? Did you write the letter? And then they ask people next to you, did you see, did they write the letter? You know, mm-hmm. on and on yeah. and on. And so um, they don't communicate well. So while this person is, is probably um, recognized for their skills, their abilities, They've gotten where they are because they're intelligent and they, they may even be charismatic, but they don't communicate well because of all those other reasons. They don't, they don't have great trust. 
Mm-hmm. They avoid conflict. So when it comes down to it, to have a conversation one-on-one, they struggle with, you know, eye contact and um, listening, which, which I'm going to speak more about uh, as we continue this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just overall do not communicate well at all. They have issues with boundaries. They don't have good boundaries. To them, everyone that works for the organization is there 24-7, available for emails and voicemails and, and texts and any communication that they need because they feel that everyone's on call all the time. Um, there's no respect for personal time. And so that's a, that's a big, big red flag right there. Um, they don't, they don't have a plan. They don't have a strategy, right? So, you know, in, in, in corporate leadership, we're all about strategic planning and yet these people just react. Everything is off the cuff, right? Nothing is, um, strategized and planned out. So I think that's, that's really important um, to look at. Also, they um, value short-term optics instead of solving the problem. So when it comes down to it, if there is a problem in the organization, they're just cleaning it up and making it neat and, you know, putting a fresh coat of paint on instead of getting to the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that certainly doesn't help anyone in the, um, future in the, for any, any plans. Um, they completely ignore turnovers. So if we're talking about someone that is toxic and they're leading a team in your organization and the people that are on their team keep leaving, pay attention. Yeah. We need to pay attention to those turnovers because there is a reason and good leaders have to the root of the problem. We have to figure out what's wrong there. Um, and then the last characteristic really is that they, they're opinionated, but they don't provide any real constructive coaching or leadership for the person. So it's easy to say, um, you know, Beth, everything you do is wrong. But if I don't give you any frame of reference for that, if I don't tell you how you can do it better or how I like it as a leader, how will you ever succeed? And right. how can I ever find someone, right, to be a good member of my team in that, in that construct? So I think for me, I found that you can never underestimate the power of positive reinforcement and praise in an organization, in a, in as a leader, as part of a team, you have to build that core. And the only way to do that is through positive reinforcement. I, I'm a firm believer. Mm-hmm. And there's so much here, I think, to dive into that you've you've mentioned. And one of the ones I um that really stuck out to me, especially right now, is the issues with boundaries that you mentioned, expecting people to be available at all times. And I and I do wonder if some bosses, you know, leaders right now are um, 
struggling with this a little bit more, even in the remote workplace, as as people start to work a little longer, they get to, you know, they'll, they'll be working in the evenings and they work and life are blending so much. I wonder if we're starting to, do you feel like there's probably an uptick in some of these toxic relationships as people are trying to work from afar? I do. I do. I completely agree with you because I think that when, um, when organizations said we have to work remotely, we're not going to mm-hmm. all come into the office because of the pandemic. Um, I think that that the consequence is both that people feel like they're working all the time, right? They're home, mm-hmm. they have their computer, they have their phone, they, they're, there are all these different platforms now that they're getting pinged and, and buzzed and dinged for messages, right? But I think it's so important for both leadership in the organization and the employees, you have to set these boundaries because otherwise, for employees, we're going to have burnout. You can't, you can't work 24 hours a day and you can't be available right. to everyone. And there has to be a work-life balance. So what we've done then is taken away the balance because, you know, leadership can say, well, you're home, you're home, but mm-hmm. you're always on call. So what are you walking around with an ear, with earbuds in all the time, you know, listening mm-hmm. to people right. or on a Zoom call and you're, you're, muted. I mean, ridiculous. You have to have a balance. So I think that you're absolutely right. Boundaries are more important today than ever before. So one of the things that stuck out to me too, that you talked about was, was the micromanagement and the lack of trust. And as I've been watching and reading articles right now, as people return to work or they are in the hybrid workplace and they're saying, you know, leaders have to learn to let go and you can't be worried so much about, um, you know, timesheets and how long people are actually working, things like that. You ha- people have gotten used to that autonomy. It struck me that who was doing this before? And you talked about how this can actually be a sign of a toxic relationship if you're really holding on to those little things. Yes. And, you know, I do feel, Beth, in some industries, in some areas, it is important to know that the person worked a certain amount of time a day, right? In mm-hmm. those um data entry positions and and um, things of that level, it's important to know that someone worked eight hours or seven and a half hours, whatever the professional level is of your organization. And so for that, they have platforms where they people check in on a computer, even if they're sure. remote and, and then check out. So there are, you know, systems for that. But when I look at like people on my team who are at a certain level, I want to surround myself with people who are intelligent and skilled. I want to hire a good quality adult professional. I'm not hiring children. I'm not, I don't think they need to be babysat. Mm -hmm. I think that building trust is crucial for the success of your organization and for the success of your team. You know, if you look at it that way, first your team and then your organization, but how can you build trust if I'm going to stand behind you and make sure that you send the email or make the phone call or complete your task. I mean, I I think that's ridiculous. And I think that sometimes, um, first of all, those people that you're trusting to do their job are going to go farther and do more for you if you trust them. Like Mm -hmm. that's the weird result, right? That doesn't match any algorithm. It's that, if you tell them you have to sit in your chair for eight hours and produce, 
they're probably not going to be as productive as if you just say, here's your task, and then they do it. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to work more than eight hours on the task because they want to do it. They want to make you proud. They want to, they want you to be more than satisfied with their, with their job. So it kind of works in that counterintuitive way. And that when we micromanage and hold too tight, we don't get the best results. So I love your description of how these toxic relationships, you know, you can start to recognize them. And my guess is our listeners are listening to this and thinking like, yeah, I worked with that guy who never took responsibility. Nothing was ever his fault, right? I worked with, I worked for that boss who, um, you know, was always worried about how does this look to everybody instead of how do we actually fix this problem? Um, but if you, as you look at these signs and you start to recognize them in the workplace, if you're a leader and you're maybe you're experiencing this for, for yourself, like, yes, you're a manager, but your own boss has has problems with this or another senior leader or maybe even a colleague in the workplace. And you're starting to say, hey, I have some relationships like this. What do you do to start changing the nature of those toxic relationships? So this is a, this is a hard question. This is challenging. Um, for for most people, I give a caveat about um, whether to stay in the organization. And I think, you know, that's certainly a personal mm -hmm. decision. How bad is it? How much has it affected you? Um, and and can you can you make an effort to strategize yourself and cope in that environment? And so for some people, you know, we can't always leave the position, whether it's because of um, the commute or the benefits or the childcare issues, whatever it is, maybe we have to stay. And so if we have to stay and we have to make it work, we want to minimize the stress on ourselves and the stress uh, to our health for, for us, right? We want to invest mm -hmm. in us. So how can we do that? How can we approach this person differently? Um, first of all, you need to change your perspective. So what do I mean by that? Well, we can't change other people. However, mm -hmm. we can change ourselves. Um, Gandhi was famous for saying, if we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. Mm. As a man mm -hmm. changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. So certainly, um, you know, Perhaps we all aspire to be a little bit of Gandhi every day. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a good way to change your perspective is to show our high levels of emotional intelligence, right? By being the change we want to see in the organization. So become empowered by our knowledge that, look, this person, this person that we've identified as toxic, whether it's our boss, our leader, the team leader, our colleague, whomever, their behavior is rooted in deep, deep insecurity. So you have to look at them differently. You need to try not to take their words and actions personally. Um, when they micromanage you, just focus on the task. Focus on accomplishing the job. Because at, at the end of the day, you have to do the job, right? If you're going to stay, uh, yeah. you got to do the job. Um, and then this one's hard. Try and avoid interactions with the person. So sometimes that's not the easiest thing. 
But if you don't have to see them, if you don't have to work with them on a project, it makes it better for you, right? Because they cause you some kind of stress. So it's better to avoid. Obviously, I'm not telling you to, you know, uh, call in sick and stay home and avoid the whole situation. No, but, you know, if you don't have to work directly with this person, then, then you know, please do so. Um, another way is really to change your approach to this situation. And what I mean by that is, so we know that toxic individuals don't communicate well, but they each have their own communication style. And we have enough intellect to realize what that is and what they mm -hmm. like, but stop challenging them. Don't, don't, they don't like to be challenged. They don't like to be criticized. Just figure out how they want you to communicate and embrace it and, and move on, right? Focus on your task. The more you learn about their communication preference, the better you'll be able to adapt and have more effective, efficient conversations with them. And then you know, the stuff we were talking about before, you have to try and establish boundaries with them. Mm -hmm. if, if they text you on Saturday night or during your child's birthday party or at the dance recital or the baseball game, you know, you choose when to answer them. Just know it probably makes them upset when you don't answer them right away. Mm -hmm. But you have, to, you have to keep the relationship professional, right? And respond in a respectful, positive, professional manner, but just do it in a reasonable time. I love your point on, you know, understanding how it's making them feel. As you adjust your communication style, um, one of the things we've often talked about was we, you know, in our communication courses and things for leaders is acknowledging both the facts and the feelings. So in that situation of, um, you know, I imagine it was frustrating for you when I didn't answer your text yes. on Saturday, I was here. Um, and, you know, it's funny how they often don't realize how they came across. Uh, they say, oh, I'm not frustrated. I didn't expect your answer. Or maybe they said it was frustrating because of this additional thing that you didn't realize because somebody else was pinging me or whatever it is. Right. You often get to such a deeper root of that. But I, I love your approach to, you know, acknowledging those feelings that they're probably going through too yes. to get to that, yeah. that root of where they are. Now, now it's not always true that that person is as deep and um, <laughs> reflective as you're pointing out. Um, I worked for someone who just wanted you to know he was the most important person in the world. And when he texted you, he wanted a response right away. And it made him very angry if I did not respond right away. And he didn't care if I was at my <laughs> child's birthday party or baseball game. <laughs> right. What could be more important than my text right now, right? <laughs> yes. Answer it now. Because now, he do you still idea. work for him or did you leave? I do not. I do exactly. not. Big surprise. Exactly. <laughs> Big there surprise. goes that turnover one you talked about as well. <laughs> Yes. So now, if, as a leader, again, you know, in some cases, the issue might not involve you, but a member of your team maybe comes to you and says, um, you know, I'm struggling with a difficult relationship, maybe with someone else on their, your own team, they're coming across this way, or someone on another team. Um, how do you as a leader start to advise your own team of how, how to manage these toxic relationships? Because sometimes it is a little bit outside of your control. And it's one of the challenging things they're coming to you for help. Um, how do you advise them? Well, 
So I think that part of being a good leader and perhaps even one of the most important parts of being a good leader is your ability to listen. Um, it's interesting. Epictetus is a, a Greek philosopher and he said, we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen <laughs> twice as much as we speak. And I don't think that we always employ that tactic. I think it's so important to listen. So, okay, you're a team leader. You have someone on your team that has been identified somehow through a conflict as toxic, correct? Mm-hmm. So what you need to do as a leader is be present, see all your employees. And that sounds ridiculous. And I'm sure if people are literal, they're going to say, what are you, what do you mean? See the employees? Of course I see the employees. No, you need to see them and hear them. All people want in, in life, but definitely in the workplace is dignity and respect. And if we don't see people or hear them, we can't give them that dignity and respect. So I think that as a leader, it's so important that we sit down and listen. Um, I once took a quiz to see how, what kind of listener you were. And it said, um, you know, how many times do you interrupt someone when they're speaking? Mm -hmm. That was a, a, you got a downgrade for that. And then the other thing was, how much time do you spend looking at your telephone when people are talking to you? And so I worked for a person, a leader, a CEO, who in every meeting we were in, he was on his phone. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know, this is like worse than a teenager. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what he did before cell phones, you know? I mean, I, I'm, I, I've been around long enough to have been a professional before people had cell phones in the boardroom. And um, I thought... He's literally conveying to everyone around this table that he doesn't have any respect for us or what we're mm -hmm. doing, and he's not listening to what people are saying. And so I feel like as a leader, he was missing out on so many opportunities, so many. And so if it's someone on your team, you have to do your due diligence and investigate what the issues are, listen to everyone involved. And you need to be your team's captain. I think that's so important. I have been responsible for teams before. And if people, if members of your team don't trust you as the leader, mm -hmm. you just, your team's just not going to su succeed. You're not. Because right. they need to believe in you and that you believe in them. And so, again, comes right down to dignity and respect. You have to listen to the whole situation and figure out how to resolve the conflict together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, perhaps if you identify a toxic person um, on your team and the company is willing to invest in this person, then you need some one-on-one -on -one coaching with this person. You need to figure out what's the problem and how can they resolve conflicts better with colleagues, with team members, with leaders, et cetera. Um, it's just going to come down to figuring out what the problem is, assessing it and solving it. Yeah, I, I love I, I love that approach, too, because, you know, 
sometimes it may be actively resolving the conflict and helping them, you know, do the sit down or do what you need to do. And, um, and sometimes it may be the listening side of they're saying, I can handle this toxic relationship on my own, but I need you to know that this is happening and acknowledge it and, and, and recognize that this is here causing me some issues and holding me back. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. So, so you, you kind of started to go into this territory a little bit. And, and as you flip the scenario of what do you do when that toxic person is on your own team? So somebody comes to you and says, listen, I'm really struggling with somebody who's on your team and they've done this or they've done that. And I'm having a hard time. How do you coach that person who is, and I even hate the phrase to, you know, to label them as toxic because it's, it's their behavior. It's not the person. Um, But you know, when they're exhibiting some of these horrible behaviors, how do you, how do you coach them through some of that? So first of all, um, some of the characteristics that I used in the beginning of um, a toxic individual, I think that as a leader of your team, you need to exhibit the opposite of those things. So you need to embrace the conflict head on, like dig into the problem. Um, You can't bury it. You can't ignore it because it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And you as a leader need to exhibit great communication skills, right? So that's both listening, speaking, building trust with these individuals and figuring out ways to resolve the conflict. So I'm working on something else right now. I'd love to talk to you about that later, um, another time, (laughs) which has to do with conflict resolution. Um, And it goes back to tribal practices and how they resolve conflicts in a circle. And it's so basic and it's something that companies and organizations and leaders can embrace because it's something they can do. They don't have to bring in, uh, you know, specialists to resolve these conflicts and they can resolve them before they escalate into a bigger problem. So I I think it's so important to attack it head on and communicate and listen and see people for who they are. Um, And again, you know, maybe we want to, we don't want to call them toxic when they're on our team. Um, Maybe maybe we want to identify them as, um, you know, a little more difficult personalities and that we want to figure out a way. We got to figure out a way for us to get along. Like we're all on the same team. How are we going to accomplish that? And, and again, if it's some kind of intervention for that one person and maybe it's one-on-one coaching that will really help them, um, then that's how you get there, but you get there together. Right. And see, and helping them see how, their behavior is stopping them from being more successful than they probably could be. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So Lynn, one of the things that you said that was, um, that stuck with me was about, you know, is around self-awareness and, um, you know, what if you're actually the person who might be guilty of doing this with others? So you talked about like, a lot of it is rooted in insecurity and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not a micromanager. I was just checking on that because I'm so worried this project's not going to get done or that's not me because I'm just so worried about this or that. How do you start, how do you develop self-awareness or maybe recognize that 
again, not that you're a toxic person, but that you might be exhibiting some of these behaviors. How, do, how can you develop that and start to see some of these signs in yourself maybe? So that, that's hard, right? That's very different <laughs> for, especially for leaders, I think to see, I think at some point, um, you know, it's, it's like symptomatic of leadership. They're focused on so many things that they become myopic about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I think that emotional intelligence plays a big role in this. I think that um, leaders who have high emotional intelligence are less likely to exhibit these behaviors because they understand that it's the ability to both regulate their own emotions and to understand that they're not the only person on the planet, right? That there's lots of other people. And um, I think that it's become a really important part of leadership. And I'm sure you've done other interviews on emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, um, you know, leadership's Experts are now focusing on the importance of emotional intelligence and what it brings to an organization. So mm-hmm. exhibiting empathy, building relationships, building trust, more efficient teamwork, right? It all leads to, to, the, to the top, to success. So I think that's a big part of it. But look, how do you recognize it in yourself? So you got to flip those 10 characteristics from the beginning. and say, well, I, I, I need to take responsibility for everything, right? A good, a good leader, you look at a CEO or a president of a company or a coach of a team, mm-hmm. look, if something goes wrong, everyone's a Monday morning quarterback and analyst, <laughs> right. right? But the coach on Sunday night says, we didn't do our best or we, we tried and we didn't accomplish it. It's a we. He's not blaming anyone on the team. Mm -hmm. So I think that as a leader, we need to take responsibility. I'm sure most of the time, it's not the leader's fault for something that goes wrong in the organization, but you're the leader. So you need to take responsibility. Um, Embrace conflict. Be a good communicator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Respect personal time. Respect boundaries. Right? Um, delegate, stop micromanaging. But again, that's about building uh, trust, mm-hmm. strategic plans, and you stick to them. Stop reacting to, to uh, situations. Um, attack the root cause of the problem. Don't just go for short-term optics. Band-aids don't fix things. Right. Um, pay attention to turnovers. They mean something. And then everyone needs coaching because positive reinforcement is so important. But obviously. Sometimes that's not easily identifiable to a leader, right? Like I can mm-hmm. tell you all those things, but sometimes a leader doesn't still isn't self-aware. So I think it's so important to do blind anonymous employee surveys and put yourself out there. Now, it takes high emotional intelligence to do that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to want to do that because if you're, you're a toxic individual you don't like criticism but mm-hmm. you've got the, the only way you're going to figure it out is to put yourself out there and say how can i improve how can i get better what am i doing 
good, what am I doing wrong? I mean, ask both questions, ask all of it. Mm -hmm. If you've had a conflict in this organization in the last six months, did you feel it was resolved? You know, like, I mean, ask the hard questions of these employees, but employees need to know that there's no retribution. So they need to know that it's anonymous and it's blind. Um, and again, it's another way to build trust mm -hmm. because you're, mm -hmm. you're putting it out there, right? I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We can all improve. We can all learn things every day. It's only going to improve your whole organization. But you yeah. got to be willing to put yourself out there. I, I love that. You know, the, the, it takes a lot of courage to seek feedback because, you know, it might not always be what you're thinking, um, but it's so helpful in developing self-awareness. Um, and at the very least, you can start to question yourself, I think, on those 10 behaviors you talked about and say, yes. let's, I don't have to tell anyone about this, but let's, let's really run through this list and say, am I doing any of these things? Am I, and again, maybe you have your reasons of, oh, well, I'm just worried about the deadline, but does that mean you're doing yeah. something you shouldn't be doing or, um, or you're opinionated, but am I really providing constructive coaching to somebody, helping them see what to be better instead of just saying like, you did it wrong again. <laughs> so yep. Yep. I, I, I like this, these 10 behaviors as a little bit of a self-test too. Um, yeah. And you're only going to gain if you're honest with yourself. Right. Right. And I guess, I guess the other way, if you're not willing to put yourself out there and not willing to have all your employees, you know, review your behaviors, mm -hmm. um, then perhaps you need some one-on-one -on -one coaching as a leader. Mm-hmm. And that you can have that conversation with one person and it doesn't have to go anywhere. You can learn something about yourself. Yeah. Trusted college. Someone tr you trust seeking some of that feedback. Yeah. Um, that, that can be so powerful. So one of the questions I ask everyone on the show, and I'm, and I'm particularly curious for you as, as you've gotten into this line of work um, and, and focus here, but can you tell me about a moment of leadership that really changed your life, either inspiring you for the good or even shaping your path in the direction that you're thinking, this moment showed me where I did not want to be in life? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's hard for me to pick a moment, but mm -hmm. um, when I look back, I worked for a, a CEO, an organizational CEO, who um, had hired me to uh, develop a certain plan and a certain program. I hired experts to do that because that's what we do, right? We bring in people that are smarter than us in their arenas to help us achieve the goal. This person was great. They had improved. It happened. This was the area of marketing. They had taken the organization from a level um, where they were ridiculously underweighted in marketing and raised their image digitally and, you know, within social media and uh, videos and emails and website presence and so many things, reviews and so much good. Like it was an incredible turnaround in less than a calendar year. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, and I don't know to this day why, but the CEO proceeded to gaslight this person on what the reality was, 
And um, for your listeners, gaslighting is a, a tactic typically employed by narcissists where they um, take the reality that both of you shared and turn it so that they're the victim. And um, it's, a, it's a different reality than what occurred. It's their perception mm-hmm. and they're telling you that you're wrong and you, you might be going crazy because you don't remember how it actually happened and they know better. Mm-hmm. So he proceeded to gaslight her on her results and um, bully this, this person enough so that they resigned after that meeting. And so that meeting for me, it was a, a watershed moment because I knew that um, I had no respect for the CEO any longer and mm-hmm. that I would never be that kind of leader, that I would never uh, treat people in that way. And not once did he point out any of the positives of which there were so many. So it was odd. Um, it was odd behavior on his part. Um, he was an odd CEO. So, <laughs> you know, it's such a powerful story as we think about these toxic relationships and um, as you see them in the workplace. Because when I'm listening to you tell that story, that CEO gained nothing in the end. He didn't look better. He didn't get more done. Nobody was heaping praise on him at the other person's expense or anything like that. He just lost a really um, a person who could have really helped make the, him and the organization look so much better. Um, and that's such a powerful, I think, takeaway from, from your story of how these relationships can, it, it's not just about, you know, trying to get through your day or, you know, so, of course, you're not going to always like everybody. It's not about that. It's about really what you, what you lose when you're um, involved in, you know, you're exhibiting some of those behaviors or that you see others who are being treated this way, not changing that is such is such a loss for you and the organization. So thank you so much for all your great insights today, Lynn. Thank you for joining us. And to all of our listeners, thank you for taking the time out of your 480 to be with us today. And remember to make every moment of leadership count. <laughs>